Good morning, church. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Amen. Today's text is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. And I'd like to read this parable a second time from this version that was translated by Amy Jill Levine in her book called Short Stories by Jesus. She makes a very literal translation, and although it sounds awkward in a few places, I think it helps bring a little bit of the movement and the power of this parable to the surface. Let's read. And some person was wealthy, and he dressed in purple and linen, feasting daily, splendidly. And some poor person named Lazarus was lying by his gates, being covered with sores. And he was wishing to be fed from the things falling from the table of the wealthy, but rather the dogs coming were licking his sores. And it happened that when died the poor man, and he was brought by the angels into the bosom of Abraham, and also died the wealthy, and he was buried. And in Hades, raising his eyes, being in torment, he sees Abraham from a distance, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he himself, calling out, said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus so that he might dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue, because I'm suffering in this flame. And Abraham said, Child, do you remember that you received your good in your life, and Lazarus likewise the bad, and now here he is being comforted, but you are in pain? And in all these things between us and you a great chasm stands, so that the ones wishing to cross over from here to you are not able, nor from there to us can one cross over. And he said, I ask you therefore, Father, so that you might send him to the house of my father. For I have five brothers, so that he might witness to them, in order that not will they come to this place of torment. And says Abraham, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead would come to them, they would repent. And he said to him, If to Moses and to the prophets not do they listen, neither if someone from the dead would rise, would they be persuaded. This parable could be summarized with the bottom line, act on behalf of the downtrodden before the opportunity passes you by. Act on behalf of the downtrodden before the opportunity passes you by. The first half of this parable we could call suffering at the gate and party in the house. Suffering at the gate and party in the house. Lazarus is placed at the gate, hungry, and we might wonder, who put him there? For what purpose was he placed at the gate of this rich man? It may seem to us this is the wrong house, the wrong man to be at this gate, but someone must have thought there was a reason for him to be at this gate. The rich man does not act against Lazarus, not overtly, doesn't commit some sin against him. He just doesn't see him as worth it. The sin in this parable 
of omission is a grave matter indeed. And this week we've been somewhat in shock as we see the issue of racism rear its ugly head again in our country. Maybe we shouldn't be shocked by now, but there's so many emotions we've been experiencing, shock and grief and outrage among them. For those who saw the video of George Floyd crying out, I can't breathe. And we've seen peaceful protests around the country and others that have been anything but peaceful. And the burning and the looting must be stopped. And yet, a call for calm is not enough. We must be determined to make a difference as God calls us and as he gives us opportunity. I was encouraged today by an opinion article written by Condoleezza Rice, and I wanted to read a paragraph of her hope from this editorial. She wrote, I grew up in segregated Jim Crow, Alabama, where no one batted an eye if the police killed a black man. There wouldn't have been even a footnote in the local press. So it is a source of pride for me that so many have taken to the streets peacefully to say that they care, that they too are sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yet protests will take our country only so far. The road to healing must begin with respectful but honest and deep conversations, not judgments about who we were, who we are, or who we want to become. Let us talk with and not at each other in our homes, schools, workplaces, and places of worship. And if we are to make progress, let us vow to check the language of recrimination at the door. We can then turn our fears into faith, hope, compassion, and action. In her article, Condoleezza Rice mentioned that racism is not just the overt and blatant uh, taking of another person's life because of their skin color or violence done. Racism comes in many forms, dismissiveness, underestimation of a person's abilities, presumption about someone's feelings or their worldview, and fear. And I love the fact that she noted that these can happen by very good people who do not want to feel that way. They sincerely do not want to feel that way about another person, and yet feelings often can grip us and take hold of us. I learned uh, early in my own life that my parents expected me to be kind to everyone. And I grew up thinking that I didn't have a problem with racism. And if you're talking about the overt and blatant kind of criminal treatment of another person, maybe I haven't. And yet, it's not that simple. I learned also that my willingness to be kind to anyone isn't always enough. If I'm willing to be kind to anyone, that might be useful with the people that I meet as long as I'm with them and around them, but my lack of attention and awareness or action might contribute to the problems of others in ways in which I'm not even aware. This has been hard for me to learn. And when one of these problems or a person who's been treated wrongly or misunderstood comes into my view, comes close to me, I want to dare to make a difference and I dare not look away. I want to dare to make a difference and I dare not close my eyes. This is what we see the wealthy man do in the parable. He is 
having a party in the house. He's ignoring Lazarus' situation, and even worse, he's celebrating. This word is very strong in the Greek language. It's throwing a party. It's the kind of word for the parties that Jesus is throwing for the sinners and the outcasts and the prostitutes in the Gospel of Luke. Just a few chapters earlier, Jesus is throwing one of these kind of parties, and he talks about inviting the people in from the streets, and this man's throwing the party with Lazarus at the gate. The party's in the house, and Lazarus isn't invited in. We know nothing else about these men and how they lived. We don't know how they behaved. We don't know that the rich man was a bad guy or that Lazarus was a good guy. We don't know whether they had disease, addiction, happy marriages, unhealthy relationships with children, happy relationships with grandchildren. We know next to nothing about these two men or their life. And this actually highlights the main idea in the parable. The obscene consumption and unjust materialism of the rich man seal his fate. And the second half of this parable could be called a reversal of fortunes, but not of opinions. Once we've moved through this initial part of the parable with the, the man in his house and Lazarus at the gate, they both die and they go into the afterlife, at least some kind of an afterlife. And in the story, we get a look into their experience, and we could say that there's a reversal of fortunes. Lazarus is comforted, the rich man's in torment, but there's not a reversal of opinions. The rich man in Hades clings to his superiority. And this reminds me of a verse that's really very haunting, but it's important. From the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 11, when John the Revelator is talking to the angel who's been giving him these messages and visions, and the angel prophesies, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. He who is vile continue to be vile, and let him who does right continue to be right, and he who's holy continue to be holy. This is a way of saying that in the life to come, God confirms who we've chosen to be in this world. He says yes to what the rich man has become. And the rich man isn't the same in Hades. He isn't the same in his luxury. He isn't the same in his wealth. And yet the rich man is the same in Hades. He's the same in his opinions. He's the same in his marginalization of Lazarus. The gate that he refused to open in life has now become for him a gaping chasm. Fortunes have been reversed, but opinions have not been. In life, he gave nothing to Lazarus, and now nothing can be given to him. In life, Lazarus was hungry, and his wounds nourished the dogs. They came and licked his sores, and they were feeding off of his open wounds. In death, the rich man is thirsty, but he feeds the flames. His actions, decisions, opinions, his life now are the source of his own torment. He's chosen who he will become. He's not the same, but he is the same. And the irony is this. He knows Lazarus's name. How long has he known? We, we have to wonder and ask, has he known all along Lazarus's name? Knowing must count for nothing if nothing is done. 
if no action is taken. Lazarus means God helps. It's the meaning of his name. And thank God that God did help because the man God equipped to help did not help the man that God placed at his gate. In simpler ways, I could say that like this. God's first plan to help Lazarus was to lay him at the gate of this rich man, to give them both a divine and eternal opportunity, to be helped and to be the helper, to be seen and to be a seer, to be heard and to be a listener. They could have both lived in luxury on both ends of eternity. God's plan was to help. And Lazarus's name gives him dignity. Not only is it a great name, God helps, but he's the only person besides Abraham in this same story, the only person in all of Jesus's parables whose name is spoken. Jesus says his name. Just like the power of us saying the name of George Floyd this last week. For whatever, uh, for whatever may be in the life of a man or a woman, saying their name gives them dignity. Lazarus' name is said here by Jesus and now even by the rich man, but the rich man says it once more to abuse him, to boss him around, to tell him what to do. In life, this rich man didn't find Lazarus worth the effort, and we don't know why. Perhaps it was insulation. Maybe he was so busy with his life, with his important friends and his banquets and his feasting and his shopping for fine clothes that he just really uh, was insulated and didn't notice. But maybe it's his pride. Maybe he sees Lazarus as below him and not worth it. Again, we don't know what these men did or who, what they stood for or you know, who they loved or lived with. So it could be that there was some pride or rejection. It could be that he's just apathetic, doesn't care lazy emotionally, but in the end it doesn't matter. In the end, to him, Lazarus was not worth it. And now, finally, in death, he says his name. And God has helped. But the rich man isn't part of it. What are we supposed to do? We live in a complicated world with complicated problems. This sermon is going to be one of my shorter ones, I think, because I don't have that many words to say. What could I say? Our world is hurting, and we can approach the throne of grace with confidence, so let us. Let us commit to listening, to humility, to repentance, to prayer, to action. Let us all look inside. No one has all the answers to racial injustice, but that's not an excuse to give up. We won't unwind these problems overnight, but that's not an excuse to quit. We need to be in this with our brothers and our sisters, black and brown and white, for the long run, sticking with them, listening to them. It's not enough to pay lip service to justice. It doesn't help anyone to perform a heart change in front of the Instagram world or the Facebook world. We need an actual heart change that only God can give. And maybe he'll provide some ways for us to do this. We know that he's encouraged us through scripture. When one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it. That's reason enough for us to stand with our black and brown brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. We know that when one sheep is in danger, our Savior goes after it. 
That's reason enough for us to say that their black lives and bodies do matter. We don't have to be ashamed about that. We certainly don't know, understand, or agree on all of the policies and opinions and ways that this might be worked out. No one does. But when one is hurting, we go after them, like our Savior. Black lives and black bodies are worth suffering with, are worth saving. They're precious to God. And so are you, and so am I. Thank God. God helps. Let us open the gates of our hearts. Maybe for some of us this might mean we have an opportunity to have conversations of listening. Uh, maybe reading some new books, literature that we haven't been exposed to yet. Education, equipping ourselves with information and knowledge is always a good thing to do. Prayer is a wonderful resource, especially in silence, to put ourselves in the place of Lazarus in this parable, to be in solidarity with him, and then through the scripture to grow in our solidarity with others who are suffering. God has many great resources for us in prayer. Uh, this week I made the decision to listen to a couple of sermons and podcasts that were given by black preachers because I realized, and I don't know how I've been blind to this, I have a whole long podcast role of preachers and theologians that I listen to and none of my regular uh, podcasts and people in that role were black Christians. I'm not sure how I've never seen this before, but I've added a few of them in. It's just a small step, but I'm hoping that God will open my ears and my eyes through that, trusting my brothers in Christ to help me hear some of their stories. Let us open the gates of our hearts. We serve a Lord who hauntingly also could not breathe when he died. I can't breathe will haunt our imaginations for a long time to come, and it should. We serve a Lord who felt that feeling, the last breath go out of his body, asphyxiated on the cross. He, he died on the cross from suffocation. Couldn't breathe anymore. Once the fluid in your lungs is filling up and you can't push up anymore to breathe. He experienced this feeling, impression, misunderstood, dismissed, despised by a Roman culture that thought he was not worth it. And we say his name, Jesus of Nazareth. We stand in his dignity, all humanity in his image, the image of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. It's above all other names. You're the Father of this whole world and all the people in it, all of our diverse opinions, all of our cultures, all of our histories, all of the things that we've done and that have been done to us. You're the Father of all. We thank you for being the God who helps. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Please, God, send into this world your kingdom, your justice, your righteousness, your mercy, your peace. Our burning, dying, hurting world needs it. Our black and brown brothers need it. Our white brothers need it. Our sisters need it. Our children need it. We need your kingdom to come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, help us to be more like you, to experience here in this world and in this life 
the restoration and the ministry of reconciliation that you've given to us. God, help us to be people of peace and not just people with words that say peace, peace, but armed for war. Help us to be people of peace. Give us today our daily bread, not so much that we'd be obscenely indulged like the rich man, and not so little that we would be wanting for anything like this poor man, but help us to share generously. God, you've given enough into this world. Help us to be part of your answering that prayer. And Father, forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive those who trespass against us. We confess that we do not even know the full account of our sin. We don't even know the things that we have done to others that have been sin against them. As the psalmist wrote, Father, who can discern his own error? Forgive our hidden faults and keep your servants also from willful sin. May they not rule over us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Truly yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, world without end. Amen.